Good morning. My name is Colton. Uh, I'll be reading our scripture passage today. It'll be 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses uh, 17 through 34. If you're using the Pew Bible, it'll start on page 901. It'll be on the screens as well. I'll give you a second to flip there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you will eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you drink in its remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers... When you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. Just one moment before we turn our attention to God's word and the passage Colton just read. Um, Last week, if you were here, we handed out a big colorful packet about the church we would hope to plant maybe 14 months from now in the city of Harrisburg. Um, I want to put up a slide or have um, someone put up a slide if they can. There should be a screenshot there of um, us. We shot a video. I don't know if it's there. (laughs) Hopefully. Anyway, okay, there it is. All right. We are not going to play this video in the same way. So so last week we handed out a bunch of these. They're they're sitting up here if you didn't get one last week. Um, We didn't read all the words in that. But we gave it to you hoping that you might. We're going to email this out later, at like this, uh, right after church. But, of course, there's me and Ben Bechtel, who uh, is our associate pastor. We hope will plant the church. And on the other side is Greg and Matt. They're pastors over at Liberty Church in Camp Hill. And part of the church plant will happen together. Um, it's, it's not a 50-50 sort of thing. Our church is planting the church, but they, through Greg, Ben and Greg, planting the church together, Lord willing, um, are working together. And there's a lot of information. You can pull that down. There's a lot of information with that, and we put it together in a little seven-minute video. Just, it's too long to watch in church. 
but we hope it would help set you up for thinking about and maybe preparing questions for the town halls we have next weekend to talk about all of that. What we're trying to do, if you can't tell behind the scenes, is just not swamp a worship service with uh, church plant, church plant, church plant. But it's really important. So we're trying to make information available to you. Last week, we had four baptisms throughout the morning services. In the sermon on baptism, I likened the practice of baptism in a local church to a wedding ceremony, specifically a wedding ring. My wedding ring declares that I'm in an exclusive relationship with another, namely my wife. Just as my baptism declares I'm in an exclusive relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. For several weeks now, we've been preaching a series about the local church. Like, what what is this thing that Jesus is building all throughout the world? And this week, we come to a sermon on the Lord's Supper. If we can liken baptism to a wedding ceremony, then we might liken the Lord's Supper to an anniversary meal. Through the Lord's Supper, it is as though God reminds believers. You know, all those vows and covenants and blessings, and you know all that love and joy and faith and forgiveness I spoke over you then? It's still true. My love has not grown cold, he says. And not only is God saying something in the supper, so are his people. As one author puts it, if baptism is more of us saying, I do, taking the Lord's Supper is us saying, I continue. And so with all those thoughts in mind, would you join me in prayer one more time and we'll look at this passage together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you still do, that you continue to strive and love, strive with and love your people. Lord, I pray that through the elements of the worship service, even specifically later as we participate in the Lord's Supper together, you would make the invisible love you have for us in the gospel visible real and tangible to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In early March of 2020, so early March of 2020, I had no idea what was coming. Most of us didn't. And none of us fully understood what the next six months would be like, let alone the next two years. I had no idea our church at the beginning of March, I had no idea that we were about to move to only online services for 13 weeks. And I had no idea it would be 16 weeks before we would practice communion together. We were supposed to practice communion together the Sunday everything shut down, March 15th of 2020. Other good churches, however, with good pastors who made the same choice to move their services online, good churches, good pastors. Some of these churches gave instructions to their people about how they could, while watching online, participate in communion at home. Our church did not do that. 
And even now, we live stream this first worship service every Sunday. And you've never seen me look at the camera in the back and say, you at home, if you want to gather the elements that you're going to use for communion, go ahead and do that now. I've never said those things. Why haven't we done this? It's not about finding out which church is the best. That, that has nothing to do with it. But I will say a large part of the answer to why we answered those questions the way we did come directly from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 17 through 34. The church in an ancient city called Corinth didn't have the exact same questions we have about the supper, about how and where to take the Lord's Supper during a pandemic, and about whether Christians can practice the Lord's Supper streamed across the internet. They, they didn't have those problems or challenges or questions. Their problems, though, when we look at them, because they did have problems, their problems, when we look at them more closely, they do relate to us, though. The problem in the church in Corinth was selfishness. The problem was coming to church to get rather than to give. And that problem was so bad in their church that in the taking of the Lord's Supper, the way in which they were taking it, rather than building up unity in the gospel, they were destroying it. In fact, their selfish sin got so bad that even though they think they're taking the Lord's Supper, Paul says to them, you're not even, it's so disconnected from what the Lord's Supper should be. What you're doing is not even the Lord's Supper. Let me reread some of those verses and we'll spend the first part of the sermon talking about these selfish church members and, and how we and they hurt one another. So we'll read again 1 Corinthians 11. Hopefully you have a Bible. You can use one there sitting with you. Or it won't be back on the screen, but I just want to read some of these verses again. Beginning in 17, but in the following instructions, Paul writes, I do not commend you, That's, I don't congratulate you, I don't give you praise. Because when you come together, it's, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Continuing in verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I, come, shall I commend you in this? No, I will not, he writes. You can see how serious Paul took their sin from the language he uses do you despise the church of God, he asks? Do you humiliate those who have nothing? The reason Paul asks these questions might not be immediately clear to you. You might need more context, in a sense we all do. Apparently, their practice of the Lord's Supper involved not only a small bit of bread and a small cup, but a full meal. The Lord's Supper, as David um, was alluding to earlier in the worship service when we read through Exodus, the Lord's Supper is built upon what's called the Passover meal, this meal that Jewish believers had up until the time of Christ been celebrating for perhaps 1,400 years. 
In fact, that's what Jesus was celebrating with his disciples on the night he was betrayed. The Passover meal was a full meal. That may be why in the early church, many times when we read of the Lord's Supper, it seems like something like a full meal was taking place around the Lord's Supper. It could also be that in Corinth, there was a culture of large meals and celebration. But sometimes this culture of large meals, especially in a city like Corinth, had origins in pagan culture. The meals would involve meat sacrificed to idols and extravagant gorging on food and drink. And often at these celebrations, the wealthy, those who were, had more means The wealthy would bring decadent food for themselves and afterward leftovers could be had by, well, those who were lower class, those who, as Paul writes, had nothing. Perhaps even the lower class had to eat in less desirable parts of the house. They couldn't come in the dining room, so to speak. Now, a few of you know this, but I I live just a few minutes from here north and just across 22 behind the Pedal Pusher bike shop and when we moved into the neighborhood maybe eight, nine years ago, um, there was a neighborhood bike parade and they looked at us and our young family and said, okay, you're in charge now. <laughs> and so for the last few years, we've been hosting and leading the neighborhood bike parade on the 4th of July. And so we have a one-mile fun run, a bouncy house, singing the national anthem, uh, and this bike parade around the neighborhood, it's like a half mile, and police escorts, fire trucks, it's, it, it's pretty epic, okay? Um, <laughs> It's a good time, I think, had by all. And at the end, we hand out bomb pops, popsicles that look like the American flag. It's very, you know, festive for the 4th of July. But then we we, we serve this meal. It's nothing fancy. It's just hot dogs and hamburgers. And and some of you have have come over to this. You've seen us. We post on Facebook. It's not just our neighborhood. This is not an advertisement for that. But, you know, nine months from now, you're welcome to come. Um, But the whole idea is mainly to build community among our neighbors. And as a Christian, um, I certainly hope I have opportunities to talk about Jesus. In fact, last year I announced, hey, I'm a pastor, and let me just say a prayer and thank God for the things that we can thank him for. But what if I told you, we didn't do this, but what if I said inside my dining room, so not there on the lawn with the riffraff, but what about in my dining room, I was serving not hamburgers and hot dogs, but thick cuts of Japanese Kobe beef. And what if in my dining room we served other fine foods and drinks? And what if I only let my closest neighbors in my dining room while everyone else got hot dogs? You'd think, well, you're a jerk. (laughs) That's what you'd think. And you'd realize I'd probably not be building the kind of neighborhood community that I had hoped for. In Corinth, something similar was happening But worse, not only were the rich humiliating the poor because they had nothing to eat, but they were putting the name of the Lord Jesus Christ upon it by practicing the Lord's Supper in that kind of context. It was evil. And and, and just to let us feel this set in even more, I'll say it this way, there was a evil time in American culture where certain lunch counters were labeled whites only. That's bad. Now imagine the anger of God when a church makes those same kind of divisions and to make it worse, they enshrine those divisions by practicing the Lord's Supper. 
I was talking with Pastor Tony this week and he mentioned a saying that he had heard from his coaching days. Tony told me, practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. So the way you practice things matters. And with this context in mind, let me reread those exact same verses and see what they were making more permanent. Again, verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Continuing in verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Then look down at verse 33 and 34. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And it goes on. You'll notice that they were not, they were not condemned for having poor among them. The problem was not merely that some had money and some did not, as though they were supposed to just redistribute it one week and then the following week redistribute it again and then continue doing this until everyone always had the same amount. That, 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 was, that was not the problem. Jesus, after all, once said, you will always have the poor with you, Matthew 26, 11. So having poor was not the problem. The problem came in the way the wealthy were humiliating the poor rather than caring for them. In despising one another, they were despising the Lord himself, especially his sacrifice. And, and what tragic irony. The death of Christ is for everyone and anyone who wants his love. And so a meal designed to remember his death should also be for everyone. And it gets worse. If you had pulled aside the rich who were eating the Lord's Supper and asked them, do you like church? They would have said, yeah, we love church. Maybe that same desire of coming to church, asking the question, what's in it for me, Maybe that same desire looks different in our context. But we certainly have this selfish spirit of consumerism among us. How could we not? It's the air we breathe. It may not show up in our practice of the Lord's Supper, but I'm sure if you let yourself think about it, you could think of other ways. Before I move to the final point in the sermon... We've been talking about the problem they had. I want to talk about the solution. Let me just put in something of a parenthesis for a couple minutes and handle a question that often comes up. At our church, we do not generally encourage, we do not generally encourage small groups to take the Lord's Supper together. I know that may catch some of you off guard. I know it caught me off guard years ago when I was in a college ministry uh, on campus. And it was a Christian ministry and, and we were doing Christian ministry on campus. And, and I remember thinking at the beginning of one year, okay, this leadership team within this campus ministry, it would be really sweet if we all took communion together, the Lord's Supper together, and as a show of unity as we start this year of ministry together. And the staff person who oversaw um, the campus ministry said, well, we're not going to do that. 
um, because different churches have different views on that and we're not a church and so we're just going to let that be what it is. And I remember him telling me that and, and I think he did a really good job of shepherding me. I, I felt like I understood and it made sense but I still felt like I had done something wrong. Even though in a sense I hadn't. I, I felt then as I still feel now the impulse the impulse to take the Lord's Supper with believers who you care deeply about, that's a good impulse. If you've taken the Lord's Supper in contexts that are not the full gathering of the whole church, you're not evil. You probably did it for good reasons. But let me explain why we don't generally practice the Lord's Supper in small groups and other Bible studies. We only practice the Lord's Supper when the whole church is invited because of the passage stressing that the whole church was invited together. This is the same reason we didn't practice the Lord's Supper when we suspended in-person gatherings. There's other reasons. It has to do with church discipline and not being aware of who's who and coming to the Lord's table is complicated. I don't want to talk about that part. But mainly we just didn't do it because we couldn't all gather together. Let me show you in the passage. That's the important thing, isn't it? Look with me at the repetition of the phrase, gathered together. It occurs five times. Verse 17, when you come together. Verse 18, when you come together as a church, whole church. Verse 20, when you come together. Verse 33, when you come together to eat. Verse 34, when you come together. You'll even notice in verse 33 that they are commanded that when they come together, they are to, quote, what? Wait for one another. How can we wait for the whole church to come to small group when the whole church hasn't been invited to small group? We can't. So we don't. Now that was something of a parenthesis, but it often comes up. So I just, I, since we're here, I wanted to speak to it for a moment. We've been underscoring the first point, main point, kind of what was the problem in the passage, namely selfishness that led to disregard for God and his people, both disregard for God and his people. Now I want to say, what was the solution? If that's the problem, what, what's the solution? Let's talk about that. The solution was very simple. You may have expected Paul to say that God should just take the table away from them. No more Lord's Supper for you. That might have been your solution. This, you'd scold them, is why we can't have nice things. But that is because you don't and we don't understand grace. You don't get to practice the Lord's Supper because you've earned the right. We practice the Lord's Supper the same way we get into a relationship with God. Grace upon grace upon grace. Rather than taking the supper from them, Paul quotes from Jesus and tells them, do this. Do this, he says. Paul's solution to taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner is not to stop taking the supper, but to take the supper in a worthy manner. So there are some good questions. Perhaps we might label them introspective questions, questions that look inside that we could ask ourselves. After all, verse 28, Paul commands that a person is to, quote, examine himself and then so eat the bread and drink of the cup. 
This is why we often tell people at our church when we practice the Lord's Supper about every four or five weeks or so, we often say, now, if you're not a Christian, we just encourage you to either let the elements pass if we're passing or if we're coming forward just to stay where you're at and pray and think if you're not a Christian because we don't want you to say something untrue of yourself. We wouldn't want to put you in a situation like that. So that's why we say that. But even to believers, even to believers, the table invites us to consider how we treat one another. In preaching on this passage, one pastor, as I was listening to it, encouraged his congregation to consider these questions. Do I have any uncharitable thoughts of others in the body? Any lack of forgiveness? Anything I need to ask them forgiveness for? Am I committed to them? Am I serving others in the body? Maybe more importantly, he says, am I making it easy for others to love and serve me. Then he added, when we all come like that, we all are nourished and we all are filled. Those are good questions. But we should be careful about how much time we give to them. The words of Jesus go like this, do this in remembrance of me. The object of our attention is not supposed to be mainly on our sin. Jesus did not say, do this in remembrance of your sin. Now, I know, I know, I know, I could go too far here. Of course, to truly appreciate Jesus, we have to have an appreciation of our sin and that we need a, what do we call Jesus, our Savior so if we are to think about how wonderful Jesus is, then we must always so think about our sin. There's this feedback loop that happens there that's really important. I get that. But again, I simply point to the words themselves. We are told to do this in remembrance of him. That chiefly that's our focus. Penultimately, that is the thing before the ultimate thing, we might think about our sin, but the ultimate thing is Esteem for Christ. Some of you, some of you are genuine believers, but you're tempted to stay back from the table because you think you need to reach some certain level of holiness before you can partake in the supper. The opposite may be true. You might need to come to the table so that you can be strong enough in faith to obey. The statement of faith by our denomination has this to say on this point. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. You could hear in the language I used last week, they make the invisible visible. Continuing, though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church, by the church, in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. The solution Paul gives to their selfishness is not to stop taking the Lord's Supper, but to take it rightly in remembrance of Jesus. God has given us a meal for our forgetfulness. Praise God for that. Well, we've come to the end, 
And I realize that just as in the sermon on baptism, there are many questions I've left unanswered. What is the right frequency for a church to take the Lord's Supper? How can we practice the Lord's Supper in such a way that doesn't make those who might not feel comfortable participating on a given morning uncomfortable? That's not my goal. I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable necessarily. And should we call it the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist? Just a word built on the word for thanksgiving in the Greek. And should we call them sacraments or ordinances? Should we offer wine instead of grape juice or serve them both and let people choose? When Jesus says, this is my body and blood, in what sense is he present in the elements? Like what, pre- what, what, what sense is it his body and his blood? And what is the proper age for coming to the table if there is such a thing? And, and this is a question maybe very relevant to us, and in a believer's Baptist framework, so where we believe a person should be baptized after they've believed, in a believer's Baptist framework, should a person be baptized before coming to the table? That is, should they have the wedding before the anniversary meal? Something to think about. I have thoughts on all of those, but I want to end somewhere else. Let me come back to what I said about how we do not generally practice communion in small group Bible studies. Sometimes a small group can become really close friends. So why not take the Lord's Supper together? I'll give a reason, but, or I gave one reason, but I want to close by coming at that from another angle. The Lord's Supper is not actually for the group of believers who are already super close and tight and super good friends. The Lord's Supper is for when you don't get along. For when there are rich and poor, men and women, young and old, and so on and so forth. That's when the Lord's Supper is at its best. This has become very personal to me, actually. I'll explain. I think about the people who have left our church over the last few years. Maybe we saw COVID differently, or government, or systemic racism, whatever that is or isn't, or something else controversial. Maybe we should be praying and focusing more on the midterm elections. With so many who left, I would maintain, not that many left, but with so many of those who did leave, I would maintain that even when we saw secondary things differently, with many of them at least, we actually still shared the same hope of Jesus Christ. His body broken, his blood shed, and his sure return at the end of time. We shared that hope. And it's these times on communion Sundays, these times when I know we disagree on secondary matters, but still cling to Christ together, that I find myself most wishing that certain people were still here. So we could all, with hearts bowed low at the foot of the cross, stand in the same line, receiving grace from the same God, from one bread and one cup. The best part of taking communion together, and this will sound weird, is doing it with the people you might not like 
or might have disagreements with or people with way more money than you or way less money than you as it was in Corinth. The best part of taking communion together is so that we can all proclaim to each other the biggest and brightest truths. We are sinners saved by Jesus and Jesus will come again to set the world right. And speaking of having things in common, next week we'll talk about church planting. There is one thing that all churches have in common and that is this. At one point or another, every church was a church plant. I'm going to pray and invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to close the service a little differently. We're going to have times of singing, times of prayer, and then we'll have time of communion together. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the Lord's Supper, what is invisible to us, your life, your death, your resurrection, we see these things only by faith. What is invisible to our eyes becomes visible. Lord, thank you for making a meal for our forgetfulness. You know what we're like. And you love us anyway. May we do this in remembrance of you. Amen.